welcome to Glow Radio. Today, I have a very exciting guest with me, Carrie Honey. She is a dream analyst, and I'm just so stoked to have her on. I'm very into dreaming. You guys know I am a Pisces, so I have crazy dreams all the time. So I'm very <laughs> excited to dive into our conversation today. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you, Jacqueline. It's so nice to meet you. So nice to meet you too. So for anyone who doesn't know you, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background and how you got into the type of work that you do? Okay. Um, well, since you're an astrologer, is it okay if I speak in terms of my chart? <laughs> for sure. I would love that. Because <laughs> well, I saw when I was checking out your podcast, I saw that you also have a North Node in the fifth house, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. All right. So, so you can imagine Gemini sun with Aries moon, Aries ascendant, <laughs> when it comes to like accomplishing, you know, creative vision, I'm like, just like, I, I have a muse that won't ever shut up. <laughs> so, so, um, you know, I, I've written a lot of books. I have seven books that include uh, translations of the I Ching, the Tao Te Ching, um, Nature's Wisdom, Babylonian astrology, and a lot of books on dreams, specifically like the hero's journey through the dreamscape that we can, you know, discuss. Um, So I'm kind of like a connoisseur of our ancient wisdom. And uh, I really um, don't believe that our our ideas should be separated. This is like a Taoist thing, but we shouldn't separate our ideas in a 24-hour period. I mean, to me, we're learning just as much, if not more, from our dreams as we do from our daily experiences. So I really feel like working with the, you know, removing the boundaries, which is why I'm, you know, very much into Taoism, allows us to really like have um, a relationship with what we are experiencing, which changes our dreams, which then changes our experiences. So, um, and and I've, um, in addition to the seven books, I've released two albums, actually made it into the Recording Academy. <laughs> so um, as Get Tribal, I have music that I blend like modern and ancient percussion with world chants um, for chakra awakening. I feel like the, the, music, the music sort of conveys its own spiritual truths and, and it can put the body, let's say, in the same sort of submission that we are achieving through yoga. So it's very meditative, meditative and, and great for chakra work. And then I, you know, launched a few iTunes apps. Um, one interprets your dreams, the others based on the I Ching. I don't know if you're familiar with that oracle, um, but mine is ranked like number one for online searches. So, you know, I, I have a website, Cafe of Soul, and I get, you know, millions of page views each month. Um, and it's sort of like, like I've, I created a lot of oracles on the site, the I Ching, Tarot, um, art type exploration, because I, I know that most people don't remember their dreams. And I feel like oracles have the same, you know, I feel like there's, the, that there's some part of us that wants to be known and that's why we're dreaming the things that we do. But I feel like when we show up in, and use an oracle and especially the I Ching, which I feel is one of the most profound oracles, traces back like to the, our earliest literature in China, from China. <laughs> I mean, it goes way back. And it, I've, it's kind of like working with a Zen master, but I feel like it allows us to have that same sort of private discussion that, we're, that we would have in the dreamscape. So that's why I've kind of built um, work a lot on, you know, through like studying all of our ancient beliefs and translating ancient texts and looking at, I kind of started because I wanted to understand all the archetypes because I mean, I can be working, doing dream work with somebody and they'll mention, you know, the Anubis when they have no knowledge whatsoever of Egyptian mythology, you know, so you sort of like kind of um, became why I got so much into like becoming a connoisseur of all of our ancient texts. So, um, yeah, I would say, like, I have a grand water trying with Jupiter, Venus, and Neptune, which is a lot of the spiritual and healing psychic work that I do. And then the grand fire trying with Mars, Uranus, and Midheaven, which is kind of the technology. So um, I think you'll find this funny, but I learned astrology actually when I was seven from my aunt, who was an astrologer to Ronald Reagan. Do you remember him? Wow, yes, that's amazing. <laughs> so uh, yeah, like um, I've kind of been 
I've been at astrology for a long time. And, and to me, it's like music. It's like the oracles. It's like, I feel like I read a chart, like a, like a language, you know, and, and I love helping people understand their life path, you know, because I'm sure you see when you work with uh, someone's chart, mm-hmm. you know, there's there, even the family that we choose, the parents, everything is just designed to launch us into this unique path that, you know, that's, that's our very own, which is why you with your fifth house, me with my fifth house, you know, I've, we kind of have no choice, but get away from some of the other aspects to really become an individual, maybe a creative persona, let's say, even if we don't want it, <laughs> you know, it's just, we kind of get carried away. And then the other part, like the reverse is that the South node for you, I guess, would be in the 11th as well, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's funny that we can be kind of really like chatty and out there and, and yet, you know, uh, South Node, for me, South Node in the 11th is conjunct Saturn. So wow. that's, that I think is wh- where the Taoist stuff comes in. I mean, I'm really like a minimalist, as crazy as it sounds, because of all the things I do, I'm, I'm very much submissive to the moment, you know, and, and just in a constant, you know, state of wonder, you know, which is super cool. Wow. I feel like I resonated with so much of you said, so much <laughs> of what you just said. And oh my goodness, I feel like I have so many comments about everything. Oh, okay. First of all, I feel like what you're doing right now is very aligned with who you are as a Gemini sun, Aries moon, Aries ascendant, you said. Like mm-hmm. Gemini's love, just learning, right? So they're mm-hmm. super intellectual and it makes sense that you're so passionate about sharing everything as an Aries moon. Aries right, and also pi- pi- pioneering because really back, I'm talking decades ago, I was writing about dreams and people thought I was crazy and I had <laughs> to just keep, you know, so I feel like the Aries really helped also not uh, be, you know, not buckle down when people Hmm. were saying that dreams are nonsense. Totally, totally. So I'm very curious, how did you first get into all the dream analyzing? Like, how did you first learn about it? Well, I actually was just born that way. So I'm not, I don't, I mean, I have, I have worked in very serious corporate positions in my life. I've been a consultant and all that, but I've always been, you know, a very spiritually, uh, I kind of feel like I just access something um, that everyone can access, but I just learned how to do it a lot earlier. So I, when I was very young, I was interpreting everybody's dreams, you know, and I was having like um, out-of-body experiences that were, uh, that later I would think I would become 36 before a neurologist would say, oh, do you have out-of-body experiences? Well, that's, you know, temporal lobe epilepsy or, or whatever, like, okay, too late. I've already learned how to like live with this great vision or, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so to me, like the whole dreamscape is not a literal language. It's very metaphorical. It's very, in the same way poems, you know, are, um, are engaging some other part of us in the discussion Dreams are doing kind of the same thing, very imagery driven, very emotional. And uh, so I just knew that water represented feelings. I knew that cars represented motivation. I knew that houses were our paradigm. It's like I had this alter world perspective that even though nobody else was, you know, having it, it was, uh, it, it has proven to be accurate, you know, like today, I would say, in fact, when I, lo- I launched my Way of Dreams uh, interpretation app in 2006, right when apps were first coming out, and after publishers were like, you're what? You're writing about dreams. Where are you from? California? Because that was where I lived. <laughs> you know, it was like when I launched as an app, the early adopters, the kids, the younger generation that were really getting into that technology, they ate it up. I mean, I shot up into the top 10 of the lifestyle category. And, you know, I, I feel like right now, the younger generation is embracing, they, you know, it wouldn't even be a discussion, do our dreams have relevance? I really feel like most people recognize that now, everybody, even the hippies, everybody, yuppies, or what do they call that? <laughs> ba- baby boomer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, and, you know, I just kind of got, got an early start with it. 
And so when people, you know, tell me their dreams, I feel like, and I work with people all over the world that will um, set, you know, depending on what kind of course we're doing, they may send me like a week's worth of dreams. It could be like 20, you know, and it's amazing when I start working with people, how much they remember, but, but I feel like there's some side of them that's like, oh, good. I'm so glad you're here and sort of pushing them aside. And I, I just sort of unpack the dream. I do it all in writing, you know, because I feel like you can go, it would take 10, 10 times more time to try to like work through somebody's issues. If you're doing some sort of like, you know, dialogue, it's better to read the dream, unpack it, give them some questions based on the dream, you know, get their feedback, get their new dreams. And you just watch this blossoming, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, I feel like I'm able to hear a different side of them and, uh, and give it expression. Wow. Yeah. I feel like all of that intrigues me so much. I'm always so intrigued by my dreams, my friends' dreams. Like whenever I have a very intense dream, I'm always like trying to interpret it, searching things up or journaling about it. So all of that is definitely very, very interesting to me. And I wanted to ask you, so what is the purpose of our dreams? Like why, why do we go through certain things and kind of just what is your experience with working through clients in that type of area? Well, um, I feel like we have two different ways of, uh, we have two different minds, let's say. I, I like to call it the left brain and the right brain. You know, we have a very analytical, you know, as we develop in consciousness, our language, you know, takes over, words start to replace what we're actually experiencing. The mind is very survival driven, it wants to seek, you know, stability and protection. And, and pretty soon down, down the road, we're no longer um, truthful with ourselves, we kind of get lost, we kind of get swept up into conformity, and we lose our way. And the dream is, I, you know, the only thing I will never answer, is it God? Is it the higher self? Is it who knows? I just know that it's profound and it knows the dreamer better than they know themselves. Mm -hmm. But there's some side of us that wants to sort of like have expression and return us back to our essence and, and who we really are. And, and so um, like, for example, you talked about dreams that are really intense and this would go for nightmares. I love it when people write me with a nightmare because it's like, yay, you're having an earthquake over there. That's like <laughs> a paradigm shake, you know, it's like wonderful. And, you know, it's like that the, so there, so when we're dreaming, we're like exploring our boundless sense, right? Like the body's in a paralytic mode, parts of consciousness that are awake by day are shut down the sense of ego and all that, so that this other, maybe maybe the side that we would see in an astrology chart, the person mm -hmm. that we're trying to identify, reaching sort of the aspirations that are in a chart, that some side, we can call it soul maybe just for a word, but some side of us really wants to um, be what it is and express itself. So it's more of a right brain orientation and it's more imagery. It's more um, cryptic and it's cryptic because the, the mind would shut down the information, but if it's cryptic and then the next day you're like, well, I was on a bus and there was a duck in the passenger seat, you know, it's like, I know that sounds crazy. So it must be a stupid dream, but the, the dream will use some of these cryptic symbols as a way of having you remember it, first of all, research it and maybe learn that, like, what does the duck represent or why is it in the passenger seat or who's driving your car or, or you know, so, and then the difficulty people have remembering their dreams is because as you're waking up, you may be having this great realization in your dream, but as you're waking up, you're slipping back into that logical survival driven left brain. And it doesn't want to remember what it repressed, right? So it's just like, it all evaporates. So I always tell people like, it's not important to remember the whole dream, but right before you wake up, just, just think of one thing in, in the dream you know, there was a mountain covered in snow and I was barefoot, you know, just that. And then just keep saying that over and over as you wake up and without thinking and analyzing, write it down. And then what I notice with people is the more that they start working with their dreams, the more they gain a connection to it. Like, you know, they're able to 
um, kind of like thwart ego, I guess you would say, because it's really ego, which is kind of a weird word. We, we need a better way to describe it. It's like a survival driven perspective that wants like comfort and good and nothing changing. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and I see that a lot in dreams, like people will go through cycles of um, having a real breakthrough. You can tell that like they, they won't, they won't see it, but I see it. And then all of a sudden, there, there will be something that happens in the dreamscape that sort of reduces it to a sexual thing or somehow makes it seem like what they're dreaming is bad. And, and I always call it ego retaliation. It's mm-hmm. like the minute that the mind starts shifting into its boundless uh, options, you know, ways of breaking through self-limiting behavior, you know, ego kind of re- comes back and will, you'll have a dream that, but, but I can see through all that. I mean, I've been working with dreams, you can imagine now for four or five decades. So, <laughs> so to me, it's like, you know, I learned how to speak a foreign language and, and I hear it and I hear it loud and clear. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with what you said, how like dreams can really lead to different breakthroughs in different people's lives. I feel like a very, very prominent dream that I remember it was, it was a very interesting one. It only happened like one time from what I remembered. It was when I was actually in a very toxic relationship in the past that lasted for about 13 years. Mm-hmm. And towards the end of that relationship, I remember having this dream that I was in a different relationship with someone else. And I just remember the feeling was so positive and just amazing. I don't even remember seeing anything in that dream or, at or, all. Yeah, and it, it's not even important who the person mm-hmm. is because it's just representing self-love. Totally. So then I think that was the first time that I started realizing that maybe I should leave this relationship. And that's when the seed was really planted and then, yeah, now after leaving that, it's been a few years now, I'm in a different relationship that's completely healthier and just totally different. And I, and I think back to that dream a lot because I feel like it was just giving me kind of um, a glance into what the future could be like. Exactly. And that brings up, you know, a lot of people, I call it the old flame dream. You know, people can be in a very healthy relationship and, you know, all of a sudden dream of an old boyfriend or someone they had a crush on that we never actually were with. But, you know, why is this person showing up in my dreams? And the people in our dreams are really representing some side of us. They're reflecting something back. And, you know, even while we're in a great relationship, maybe, you know, we dream of that person because they are, they held the power at one point to validate our self-worth and our, our self-love. So like you said, you dream of this person or marriage, you know, dreaming of a marriage, or these are all symbolic of like the little, you know, um, breakthroughs that we're having, recognizing our value, that person that we thought was so great and that never get, even gave us a sense of worthiness, but we'll dream about them later when we mm-hmm. come up against something in life that's again, challenging our self-worth you know, it could be something related to business. And that's why you're in a great relationship and still you're dreaming of an old flame. Mm. So I think, you know, um, the, the biggest challenge in working with dreams is that people don't remember them. And then when they do remember them, they want them, they want to approach them as if they're literal and they're not, they're symbolic. They're always like a mirror there. One of my books is called the mind's mirror because <laughs> it's like every, everything is you. And And then, you know, to take it one step further, when I talk about the 24 hour mind, you're able, when you're able to see how the mind constructs reality, because you're working with your dreams, you can start to see how the mind's constructing reality overall. You know, you can see that, um, that there, there doesn't have to be a line between, you know, this, oh, that's what I dreamed. And this is what I'm experiencing. It's all the same thing. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and what I what I mean by that is that the idea of projection, I think you talk about that a little bit, but, you know, the idea that this is my stuff and I'm blaming it on you, mm-hmm. because, you yeah. know, and, I, and I blamed it on the four people that came down the road over the last year, you know, as if it's all them and not me, you know, that's projection. Mm-hmm. And, and that sense of dreams telling us that this is you, this is what your, this is what your mind is thinking about. This is what your mind's contemplating. These are the 
if you dream about, you know, even a famous person, there's something about them that you're exploring within yourself. And I'm saying that life too has that element that everything that we're experiencing is reflecting back to us what we can own about our own journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was wondering, so I've heard this thing before, where when we see people in our dreams, they're kind of like fragments of people we have seen in our lives before even if we feel like we don't know them is that true or or what's your comments on that well again I you know if you if somebody dreams of like an icy something taking place in an icy landscape I would say okay there's something there's something about your aloofness right now Mm. you know something feels cold to you because I'm seeing the dream as as reflecting the dreamers ideas. So the people that appear in dreams are reflecting aspects of the dreamer. So whatever it, and a lot of times, like I hear a lot of people marrying someone they don't know by the time they tell me the dream. Well, I can't remember who it was, but I know I was getting married or, you know, it's like the dream is just, you know, that's the elements, it's the adjectives that go with these glimpses of these people. People will say too, like, if I dream of this person, should I call them? Well, you know, like you had that dream that's mm-hmm. a little bit prophetic or helps you break through or whatever. You know, I definitely see prof- prophecy in dreams. Like they can predict exactly when something's going to change or what needs to be done. But it's not that we're dreaming of the people because the people are important. You know, it's we're dreaming of the mm-hmm. people because they're, they're they have a quality that we're either adopting or discarding. You know, there's something about them that the mind is like, you know, hmm, do I need to be more assertive like this person or am I being too selfish like that person or, you know, it's kind of like a that sort of process. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I feel like for me personally, I don't know if this is the same for everyone, but I tend to dream more intensely when I'm like going through a tough time or I feel like I I usually remember my nightmares or negative dreams more so than positive ones. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's common? Or Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because, you know, one thing is that we're dreaming every night, whether we remember them or not. Rapid eye movement, REM, proves that everybody's dreaming. Mm-hmm. And in fact, in fact, if we can't achieve the dream state, um, we would face psychosis and death. So it's a nightly thing. It's like a digestive organ. You know, we're processing ideas in the same way we process food for nutrients. We retain what's good and eliminate what's not. And so that, you know, the idea that we're not remembering all of our dreams every night is the same reason you wouldn't look in your astrology chart every day before you go get in your car. It's mm-hmm. something you look at when your life has a hiccup. And, you know, so the, so the same with dreams is we tend to remember them when, when we need to remember them or um, when they become more crisis oriented when we're on the precipice of some sort of change. And then as we sort of cruise into, you know, the, a plateau, you know, we don't necessarily remember them. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, that totally makes sense. I feel like, especially for the last couple of years, just with everything going on in the world, with the pandemic and everything, I feel like more people have been remembering their dreams. And even myself, like I remember last year, I kept having this reoccurring dream. It was always different, but the theme was kind of similar that someone was breaking into my home of some sort and I just felt like really unsafe nervous so do you feel like dreams can affect people like as a collective you bring you bring up a very important theme okay Uh because I I have um I've been out and when people realize that I am a dream analyst or whatever they'll share their dreams with me so I've, yeah. I've like interpreted you know the whole life story for people I don't even know right because really like they'll be like how could you know that and I've had women very successful women um, that have had what I call the stalker dream in fact in my book um, the mythology of sleep the waking power dreams I devote a whole chapter to the survivor um, and and so there can be sort of a caregiver to the caregiver type situation uh, there, there's something when when we see that a woman is having a, a, a repetitive dream of the stalker, it's a side of her that's trying to break in so it can sleep in its own bed. So it's not a negative dream. It's not a warning that something's wrong. It's it makes you me want to say what 
part of you might have been um, didn't fit in with what the family like are you doing something spiritually that your family might not approve of or you know is your lifestyle were you ever a black sheep are you a black sheep like is there some part of you that is not being allowed to come in does that make sense mm-hmm. wow that's actually really true for kind of what was happening for me for the last couple of years I feel like I was learning how to set boundaries with my family and just learning what was authentic to myself being on my own spiritual journey because everything that I'm I've been diving into like spirituality astrology is very different than my family my family was very religious Mm-hmm. Um, very Christian. So that's kind of what I was immersed in growing up. So it makes sense now that you say that, that mm-hmm. I was having those dreams during this really intense kind of spiritual transformation time in my life. Right. Because you've become a black sheep, you've become an outcast from the family. So now there's a side of you, the shadow that needs to like be embraced again and let in like you're authentic. You're, you're a unique variation of your line. You can never be like them. You won't even be like your siblings, you know? So whatever you are, whoever you are, you have to be that. But what I find a lot is that these dreams come from overachieving women. Mm -hmm. Like these women are super successful. And so the last thing they'll ever want to admit is defeat or uh, vulnerability but yet it's like, okay, why did you achieve so much? You know, are you fulfilled? Like, you know what I mean? So there's like, mm-hmm. until that shadow gets integrated, it, it'll continue to stalk us or, you know, it continues to be a reason why we can't get fulfillment out of the work that we're doing. But again, we've been, it, you know, the, the care qualities that we're endowed with have made us, you know, achievers or good at, you know, doing something or, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. Yeah, I know it's, it's really crazy that you do mention that because I, yeah, that resonates with me a lot. I feel like, because another common one I feel like I see in myself and also my friends is that sometimes we'll have dreams that we're late for something, you know? Uh-huh, very common. And I yeah. feel like it's, it's kind of like, to me, I, I feel like I interpret it as that I'm feeling rushed in life or that I need to do something quicker um, yeah, that's, that's just something that I've noticed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, or like, you're going to take an exam and something's wrong or, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. the, the sort of like crisis things. I think, you know, a lot, a lot of times the late dreams show up, maybe could even be a biological clock for a woman, mm. you know, like if she, you know, something like that. And, and I've done, um, interviews before where I've talked about like the, the dreams of the 20 something year olds, which, it's a very common uh, dream. I call the chase dream. Like somebody's trying to kill us, you know? Mm -hmm. And again, it's like, you know, there's some side of us that becomes kind of a shadow because we've, we've left the family. We maybe we've gone through college, but there's still the safety net of family. But now we've like got this job and our whole livelihood is on the line because we have to behave a certain way. And yet it's so unfamiliar and it creates this alter person, the shadow. And so we dream about this character, you know, chasing us you know, and, and that type of dream seems to go away after we become 30 and become more confident about who we are and what we're doing. Um, but it, it's just funny that there are like dreams that's, that uh, doesn't matter what culture, like I can work with women in Indonesia, somebody in Germany, you know, we're all having the same types of dreams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, are there any that are, that stand out to you? Like, what do you feel like has been some of the most common themes that you've seen through working with people? Well, it would be definitely um, shadow type dreams and also the great dream. And the great dream is, is something, you know, usually when I'm working with people, the, the beginning series is a lot of conflict and a lot of confusion. You know, I'll make a, uh, I'll, I'll describe what's going on and they don't quite get it because it takes them. I see that the dream will present kind of maybe a shift that they'll have three weeks later, you know, the dreams ahead of where they're going. And so, but as they start to get in sync with the flow of the dream and what's going on and, oh yeah, I see that then synchronicity starts happening. You know, it's like synchronicity then is the part of the mind that wants to verify if that, if that new realization is going to take root. And so it's like, wow, I dreamt that. Now I'm seeing it. And, you know, 
it's like I'm being challenged here on this thing. And that was kind of my, my dream thing. And then it will move into kind of the great dream and, and the symbolism will take on more earthy things. Like I live in a house, but it was really the trees and, you know, like um, something that might be in the initially a, a woman who's looking for a bathroom when all the walls are being torn down or, you know, something that's about, I don't want to reveal myself in public kind of thing might turn out later to be like some dream of her that has to do with nakedness. That's completely, totally cool. You know, like, cause it's really just symbolic of revealing, you know, without any sort of shame or fear, only we know what it, what it means to be fearlessly who we are. So it's kind of like, you know, they all start in the same sort of, um, generally people are not coming to me with great dreams. They're coming to me with the conflict dreams and we're working to the great dream, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so in the shadow dream, like you mentioned, and you know, the, the types of dreams that involve, I, you know, I work with a lot of people in cultures where, where maybe the parents have laid down tracks that are like, you're going to go here, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be, you know, you're going to marry this person or, and those people tend to dream more about uh, trains where people in the West tend to dream more about cars, you know, like a car is going to crash. Well, maybe your life's a little out of control or the car's parked in a garage. Well, why is your motivation on hold? You know, but in, in a different culture, maybe the train, they're jumping in and out of the train because they're trying to make some kind of change. And yet their family upbringing has like given them the sense that I can't get off this track. It's going that way and I'm going with it. So the transportation symbols, you know, Mm -hmm. you see a lot of wow so yeah yeah. so interesting I feel like I could literally chat all day about this stuff (laughs) (laughs) and I'm curious so uh, you mentioned that you do have your new book coming could you tell us more about what it's about and kind of what was the inspiration behind it okay so um you know the western astrology that most people practice is is really based on in a large part the Greek reinterpretation. So you get a lot of, um, you know, the what 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 was actually from Babylonia. I'm, I don't know how much you know about Babylonian astrology. Not too just, much, actually. Okay, so the real astrology, in fact, as a Pisces, you'd love to read about the sea because the sea is the whole quadrant, you know, that involved, you know, Aquarius. Uh, Capricorn, Aquarius, and Pisces, the rulers in Mesopotamia and in, you know, Sumeria. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a sense that there is a, an older version of the story where Aries wasn't called a ram, but it was, you know, the farm worker. And yet, you know, you see it, it was symbolized as the ram plowing in Nana's field, you know, or the idea that Libra was the ravenous dogs or why, you know, you, you can see in the Babylonian astrology, the quadrant called the sea, that where all the, um, you know, a lot of the stories that later came out, like we had a big flood and all, it's really something that was written in the stars. So not only do I trace it back to Babylonian type, you know, their ideas, so that you can see the, the houses, the signs a little bit differently. Like if you're an astrologer, you'll love it because mm-hmm. it gives you even more of a deeper meaning behind you know, why, each, why each sign has evolved into the way that we understand it and add some additional information, you know, like Libra with the ravening dogs, the idea of the hair of the dog kind of goes with that sign. And Libra can be notorious for wanting to take the edge off of any kind of uh, disharmony you know what I mean? So, yeah. like, you know, so I don't know. So there's a lot of really good uh, insight into why some of the, the ways that we understand the signs, where their real roots come from. But what I also touch on is there's, have you ever heard of Gobekli Go Tepe? It's no. like, a, okay, so it's in Anatolia. And mm-hmm. if you search it, Gobekli Tepe, it's like this, the probably one of our most ancient um, rock sculptures with drawings on it. And it traces back to 10,000 BC. Like we're t- when we talk about astrology, we usually go back to 2,500 where the Babylonians were. And then the yeah. Greeks were 500 BC, right? So, you know, to go back to 10,000 and see that there are glyphs on the vulture stone that are actually astrology. And also we see them in Ratnagiri in India. We see the Pisces glyph complete with the little cord 
and it traces back to 10,000 BC. So what I started to see as I put the book together is that there are a lot of ideas or our understanding, let's say, of the way we've recorded history just isn't the whole story mm -hmm. because there are influences you know, on the vulture stone at Gabati Tepe. We see the scorpion. We see um, Mat, the Egyptian goddess, mm -hmm. or what became the Egyptian goddess, with her crouching ibis, the bird, as you know, helping the sun in its underworld journey. So there's kind of, so I always say like it, people that would want to think, want to explore, uh, is there like, uh, was there a sense of uh, awareness or let's say, um, do we have an understanding of this ancient wisdom pr prior to what we know as recorded history? I think that's what the book demonstrates. And another thing that it touches on is, you know, how, how astrology even came into being and like, I don't know if you've ever seen in a lot of our ancient um, monuments from uh, Chichen Itza all the way to, you know, the Iraq, ancient, you know, Sumerian, up in Acadia, there's always, they're always carrying these little bags, we call them man bags, it has like a handle <laughs> and a little bag. And, I, and in the book, I explore, you know, everything's coming from everything that became our myths originated in the stars. And they, the stars that became our constellations were important because that's the only, the, the planets only stayed in a certain band, right? And, ev and everything that was happening in the world in ancient times was recorded by astrology. Mm. And so there, there's like, there's a reason what the, what the bag represented. So it's kind of, you know, it's just a, a whole deeper look at astrology and people that are like ancient astronaut theorists, <laughs> you know, that think that there's these ancient, you know, ancient wisdoms, or I think we, I think there was a civilization that preceded the one that we think it all started. And I guess that was the way I'd sum it up, <laughs> you know, so it's yeah. kind of really, really fun to put together. Oh, I definitely feel like I would really enjoy that because, well, because I'm a Pisces sun, Virgo moon and a Virgo rising. So mm -hmm. I, I love like learning about all of that stuff. And Isn't my, that funny that you have the moon rising too? Yes. <laughs> and the opposing, well, and my opposing sun in Virgo, um, I mean, Pisces and Virgo energy. Right. No. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, I was going to ask you too, because when I, before we did the interview, I was kind of looking at your episodes, mm -hmm. you know, and I saw that you wrote about, was it Taurus moon? Yeah. All the Taurus moon. Okay. So I, let me ask you a question because I okay. think this is really, really fascinating. I see that when we are attracted to men that have the same moon over and over and over, mm -hmm. it, it's us. Right. Yeah. And so like, for me, every man for my whole life has a Capricorn moon. Wow. Now, who, what, in what way would you describe me as Capricorn, right? Like, I'm yeah. so, I'm in such an intangible realm, 20 feet off the ground, you know, but, you know, I am very, I'm a manifester. I'm a builder. I'm a, mm. you know, I've, I've done well for myself in, in my life. But so I always think it's funny when you see the repetitive moon in, in your partners, that's the, how they see you. And so mm. when, when you're getting it, you know, so what do you think that Taurus, what do you think that Taurus moon is saying about you? I, feel I mean, like obviously with Virgo, you got like a double, you know, yeah, the double way. yeah. I feel like it's telling me to learn how to relax more because I, I feel like that's why I admire the Taurus energy. Like they're really good at working hard and being persistent, but they're also really good at relaxing and indulging and just like enjoying their time off with like, I feel like they're really good about setting boundaries about working versus resting and playing. What about the Venus rulership? Mm. For yeah. Pisces, for Pisces. For oh, for you mean in my? Well, I'm saying if 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 you if the moon um is in Taurus, mm -hmm. the, the Venus rulership of Taurus can can add extra information to understand you know the Taurus. So it's like yeah, it's very rooted, it's very stable. Mm -hmm. It kind of roots you, I guess, is a good way to to put it. But yet, I see the Venus rulership of Taurus. They're the connoisseurs of life's sensual pleasures. You know, so I totally. think that. I think there's like a, they, there must be a real almost exotic or erotic or, you know, just a sensual like groundedness that must bring for Pisces. Yeah. You know, to, have, sure. to have a guy, you know, bring that, bring that, bring that out. But anyway, 
No, that's, I feel like that's completely true. And the more I dive into astrology, I, I recently started looking into something called the draconic chart. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. heard of that before. Yeah, I've heard of it. I don't use it much, but. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's basically like a chart that tells you more how you can align with your higher self and mm -hmm. kind of what your, what your higher self wants to achieve in this lifetime. And then when I looked up mine, I found that my descendant is in Taurus. So my seventh house is in Taurus in that chart. And it's supposed to mean like, those are the types of relationships that help you align with your higher self. And which sounds a lot. That's the yeah. thing about it. That's, that's, you know, that's what's fascinating. Cause obviously I know Chinese astrology too, because I write mm -hmm. so much about Chinese stuff, but you, I can read um, a ch the Chinese, just the two things, you know, the water the element and the sign and it's a very simple explanation of what it takes the entire western chart to describe like yeah. i'm a wa i'm a white water tiger and oh. i have this like huge watery like uh, mars like assertiveness and and so and like you're looking at the draconian chart but you're getting the same information that of what i just said about the moon and taurus is representing you and now mm -hmm. you're seeing it in the seventh as you know like how how it becomes important on your journey which also like i see in the seventh house you know i don't know if people pay enough attention to the characters astrologically that rule that area sometimes one sometimes two but that that also becomes a manifestation of the partner we're attracted to you know for example mine is libra having an aries rising and i totally always end up with these graceful men that are really concerned about what other people think or, you know, like but very beautiful like wouldn't hurt a flea and just very harmonious and you know with the aries moon it's gonna be yeah you know, it's gonna be like walking on eggshells or whatever but you know but i do i i am attracted to that grace i guess and what's in your seventh house then you said you have a virgo rising i do but mine so i have a, a seventh house pisces which is very interesting because I am also a Pisces sun. Uh -huh. Is your so, son in your seventh? Yes. No, my son is in my eighth house, okay. but because uh, I use the Placidus house system. Uh, so okay, so I do too, right? Mm -hmm. so, I have an so it's also Capricorn though too, right? For... Uh, or, or if you have, don't you have two signs ruling your seventh that it's intercepted? Yeah, so I have a um, my seventh and my eighth house are both in Pisces. I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. And now that I think back, it's it's interesting because my first very serious relationship, that long term toxic one, when I think back to how he was, I can see he kind of resembled more of the shadow traits of the Pisces, like being very insecure, um, but. I, I find that I actually don't attract a lot of people with Pisces signs, but they kind of might embody like that's energy. that's that's what I meant. That's mm -hmm. what I meant by, you know, because I'm not saying that they would literally be Libras like I don't really attract Libras at all. I have a mm -hmm. ton of Sagittarians, but there's like there's an element of like gracefulness and it's really yeah the embodiment. So I still think that the, if Pisces is there you know, there is something, you know, just not to look, look away from, it doesn't matter what sign they are, but, you know, the qualities that would be um, important, I don't know. Mm -hmm. No, that's, I completely relate to that, because even now, um, my partner, he has no, I don't think he has much Pisces in his chart at all, he's a Leo, but my interactions with him, like, I do see that very compassionate Pisces side that kind of what what's attracted me to him was right. kind of that that energy so I do agree that they don't necessarily have to have that sign in their chart but it's just kind of the overall uh, and energy. it sounds like with sun and Pisces in the eight there's a big transformation of mm -hmm. like you know kind of like your dream of the shadow or your dream of you're having a new relationship or you know there's some part of your identity um, with the sun Pisces that maybe isn't, you know, that maybe has more to be uh, defined for you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't even know if you understand what I'm saying, but it's kind of like uh, Pisces, I think, becomes a very strong archetype for you, even yeah. with all that earthy, you know, other stuff going on. 
Yeah, no, I feel like that. I feel like in recent times, I've really been focused on my son being in the eighth house and also my Mercury is in the eighth house as well. So I, I feel like there's just so much transformation in my life. And I love learning about transformation, hearing about it in other people and just discussing that has been one of my favorite topics. So that has definitely been highlighted to me. And, and you know what, kudos to you for the work that you do. And like you were saying, what you had to kind of, um, how you had to disrobe your family's, you know, assumption of what you needed to be, or, you know, kudos to you for standing up and, and being that, you know, people like us that are, that are here to help people when they need help, you know, or mm -hmm. help people understand some of the ways that they could reveal themselves to themselves through these oracles or methodologies or whatever, you know, there's not a lot of uh, support, you know, in this world, <laughs> in the ego world, where, yeah. for that kind of, you know, thing, and you have to just, you know, believe in what you're doing. That's so, so true. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I feel like it has been a really tough journey. And my Saturn return is actually coming up in January next month. So I feel like I've just been through the ringer the last few years of my life. That's so funny. You're probably having your first one, right? Yes, my first one. I'm having my second. Oh, amazing. <laughs> no, but I think it's funny that we're going through some of the same stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, like, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge, you know, For but sure. it's all, it can also be an arrival. Mm -hmm. You know, the Saturn return can really be a time of like coming getting what you deserve and like you know it doesn't have to necessarily be a challenge but but yeah it's not fun <laughs> totally it's like it's been not fun but I feel like it's helped me grow so much so I am very grateful for it I'm also looking forward to seeing the other side and seeing what that's mm -hmm. like as well cool mm -hmm. what's your what's your favorite part of your astrology chart like is there something that really stands out to you um, yeah you are the, the way the two grand trines sit in my chart mm -hmm. they make they make a star of David wow and you know it's funny because my first husband was Jewish and I had to convert to uh you know have Jewish children or whatever we're not married anymore but mm -hmm. you know it was just but for me you know I mean I'm I'm completely um, I'm not like you where I was forced into any kind of religion when I was young. My mom actually handed me the source by James Michener, which is an archaeological dig through time, <laughs> you know, when, when I had questions, you know, at age eight or whatever. Um, so I've, been, I've had a really open path in, in my spiritual journey. And so I appreciate all, you know, Buddhism and, and Taoism and Judaism mm -hmm. and Christianity and all that. And I just feel like... Um, just having the blend of a fire water in that trine, mm -hmm. it's just, it feels very solid to me. It feels very like, you know, like I said, I had to really go through a, a lot, of, a lot of uh, ribbing for what I was doing, you know, or, oh, that's what you want to read my poem, you know, or, you know, people didn't understand my work. Now I get like over, I get millions of page views on my site. So take that and, you know, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I, it's like, it's kind of, to me, this is the total Jupiter in the, uh, Jupiter in the 12th, I guess mm. for me, Jupiter in, in Pisces, you know, it's like that sense of like, I always feel that something is on my side. You know what I mean? Like grace. Does that yeah. feel like Jupiter and Pisces in the 12th? You know, and so, I don't know. What, what's yours? What's your favorite? Wow. Uh, uh, first of all, I, that, that Jupiter and Pisces is such a great placement. So that's amazing. For me personally, I feel like I really, I look at my chart ruler a lot, a lot. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy my Aries Mercury in the eighth house. I think that's like my favorite placement because I feel like it kind of balances everything else in my chart. Like I'm very earth and second, I feel like I'm very water, but having that fire energy just helps me express myself more, take action. And because I really admire fire signs. Like I feel like they're yeah. my favorite element. So yeah, that's, that's the the one like fire sign in my big six. So I really enjoy that part of me. 
<laughs> did I ever, um, I mean, obviously we haven't talked before, but I don't know if you've ever heard this story. I'll, I'll keep it brief, but mm -hmm. they, they say that like the gem or not the Gemini's, but the air signs at Aquarius, Libra, Gemini, you know, they come up with a lot of the ideas and then the fire signs, Sagittarius, Aries, and uh, Leo, they're like selling it. Oh, that's a great idea. Let's go out and sell it. And then the earth signs, Capricorn, Virgo, and Taurus. Wait, has anybody done the bottom line on that? Like, have we even seen if it's profitable? And then the water signs, Pisces, Cancer, and who's the other one? Scorpio. Pisces, Cancer, Scorpio. They're like, you know, has can we all just get a group hug here? <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is so true. I feel like that kind of puts the picture like so so clearly and accurately of all the elements. Right. Yeah. So so we are coming to the end of our conversation here. And that was just such an amazing conversation. I feel like all those topics are so interesting to me. And before we end off, I do want to ask you, where can people connect with you online? Like, do you prefer that they get one of your books or do you have a website that you want them to go on? Share yeah. all of those. Okay. So my website is Cafe A Soul. So C-A-F-E-A-U-S-O-U-L, like coffee with soul. Um, and on there, you can find my oracles. Um, you can find a dream dictionary. If you go to the shop section, I think there, you know, you can do co uh, coaching with me. Mm -hmm. I charge, you know, $60 for an hour for different types of coaching. People, you know, require different things or, um, and then I'm also, you know, my music is under Get Tribal and it's on Spotify, Apple, all, all that stuff. And that, that I think is just a, you know, people that find it, love it. And <laughs> so, um, and, and then, yeah, the books are at Amazon and you can find pretty much everything on my website. You know, I think you, I think you'll enjoy like, it's, it's a big website. <laughs> <laughs> awesome I'll make sure to include your website in the description so everyone can check it out and I definitely want to check out some of your music too because I'm a big fan of sound healing for the chakras and everything so Excellent. I'll definitely check that out but well, it was so, so Dan it was so nice chatting with you really I appreciate it it was so nice chatting with you too thank you so much <laughs> So I want to reward you if you've been a big supporter of the podcast and my content. I'm going to be doing giveaways every few months, choosing lucky winners to win a free natal chart reading by me. All you need to do to enter is to leave the podcast a review on iTunes and then DM me on Instagram a screenshot of your review.